As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a hand break off. Hello and welcome to Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, I'm Ian Stone and we're joined this week by Amy Lawrence and Art de Roche. Uh, good morning, guys. Hiya. Oh, sorry, sorry. Hi, guys. Are you with us, Art? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm with yet. you. I'm with you. Sorry. <laughs> that was my bad. <laughs> okay. This is what happens when you work with teenagers, Amy, you see. <laughs> Just got up. Um... Yeah, I mean, hasn't it been nice? Hasn't it been nice not to uh, not to moan about Arsenal for a week? Don't you think? It's been a pleasure. We've had uh, the internationals. I know I watched about two minutes of the England game. I don't know about you guys, but um, it was just nice not to have that grumpy feeling on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was. All right. Well, anyway... <laughs> Um, I should remind you, you can get a third off The Athletic right now uh, because you listen to this podcast. Just visit theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal uh, and you'll be able to read everything that our Amy and James McNicholas are working on in full. Now, I suggested beforehand that this podcast really is about hope um, because really that's what we've got at the moment. Um <laughs> Uh, well, it is, isn't it? Let's be fair. We're not really looking at great achievement right now. Um, Bukayo Saka turned 20 at the weekend at a lovely party in front of 70,000 people against Andorra, I think it was. Was it Andorra? Yeah. Um, not that I was paying a huge amount of attention. A uh, couple of assists and a goal in the 85th minute. So before we start, we'd, uh, we'd, we thought we'd ask, who's the last Arsenal teen sensation you invested in, in uh, fully, fully in on? Uh, Amy, we'll start with you. I'm not sure if it was the last one, but it's definitely one that I remember feeling completely blown away by, and that was Abu Dhabi. Um, and I remember being sent over to Belfast to watch uh, an England v France under-19s game many moons ago. And there was this player in the middle of the pitch for France. And I know it's a kind of cheap sort of uh, comparison thing to say, um, you know, but you couldn't help but be struck how much he looked like Vieira. Obviously, there's a physical resemblance. They did, they have some similarities there in their build and 
even hairstyle as such, but uh, the way he played and, you know, having the capacity to kind of eat up ground, he was absolutely box to box, winning tackles, spraying the ball about with that kind of great technical sort of accomplishment where he could he could produce a sort of short and long range passes and 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 progress the ball just you know really quickly up the pitch either by a pass or by kind of the way he moved with the ball and I just thought oh my god and at the time he was still playing for uh, a team in France and I just remember coming home thinking Arsenal I've got to sign this player so I was so excited when they did and I really went around telling everyone this guy's going to be unreal and I wish he was because he, he he could have been unreal but for you know horrendous luck with uh, with his body and with injuries um, but yeah that was the last time I kind of thought Arsenal or maybe if I wasn't the last time that was a recent time when I thought Arsenal have stumbled upon uh, potential unbelievable greatness yeah let's uh, let's get it right by the way it was obviously bad luck um, uh, in the in the later part of his career, I mean, I guess you could say it was bad luck to be on the same pitch as Dan Smith, who was playing for Sunderland at the time, and who did essentially a physical assault on him and uh, and killed his career. Yeah, never to be forgiven or forgotten. That one, uh, Art. What about you? Yeah, I think as uh, I guess a card carrying member of Hayland FC, <laughs> I think there are a few names that kind of popped up straight away. But two stand out, and I think the first one is Gedeon Zalalem. Um, if yeah. you remember back to, I think it was the Emirates Cup 2013 against Galatasaray played. Um, and I, I was in the East Stand, um, and he just seemed so comfortable uh, on a pitch with professional players, even though he was like 17 at the time. Um, amazing control and amazing technical ability. And I think he... He went on to make his debut that season against Cardiff in the um, in the FA Cup. But again, he's kind of a similar one to Diaby, although he's probably not near in terms of success, in terms of his career. Just um, with luck and injuries, I think it was a, a very big, I think it was a, either a knee. Yeah, I think it was a knee injury in the 16-17 season, which was the one that pretty much ended his time at Arsenal and he spent pretty much around 18 months trying to recover from that. Um, so yeah, he's the one that sticks out. And then also I think I have to mention Jeffrey in Adelaide as well, because uh, another kind of Emirates cup player who everybody was convinced was the one um, very tall, but still very technical and uh, I thought that he was 100% going to make it at Arsenal. But that wasn't the case. He was uh, moved on to Angers and now he's at Lyon. Um, but yeah, so those are the two that kind of stick out in my mind. And uh, I'm not surprised that they're both <laughs> midfielders of the Emirates era. I'm just, um, as you were talking there, Art, I had a quick look at Wikipedia to see where Zelalem is playing now. And he's had an unbelievable career in the range of clubs that he's played for um and before joining arsenal he played for teams called bethsida sc and olney rangers um and since arsenal he had you know a few loans and one of which to a team called swope park rangers 
and is now at New York City FC. So good luck to him. But I, 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 it's one of those guys that you think, oh yeah, you know, that suddenly you hear the name again. And uh, but every now and again, his name does come up because, like, when we're in the car with the kids on a long journey or something, or where, and we we play a game which is like A to Z of footballers or things like that. So when it comes to Z, sometimes when you're when you're the last one to get your pick, he comes in quite handy. <laughs> it's a good game actually it works it does well. sound like a good game it yeah. does well, we, we, we could just we could do it on this podcast because like you know it means we can avoid talking about other things well okay well let's see if we have to okay <laughs> let's save that one for not after an international weekend when things are looking up at the moment um i'm going to do an amy and pick three okay uh only because um you know why not um one was patrick vieira we've talked about this many times on the podcast amy i've I love listening to you talk about this, seeing him come on against Sheffield Wednesday when we were 1-0 down. And he was 18. Let's not forget, he was an 18-year-old. Mm, I think he was 20. I, do you know what? He was always 18 to me, OK? But anyway, <laughs> he, was, he was young. Uh, he was, they're all young, to be fair. Um, another one was Eddie Nketiah against Norwich. Uh, scored two goals and we're all singing his name. And I really, really had high hopes for him. I love the way he moved. And it obviously hasn't quite worked out. He's still a gooner and you never know. Uh, we thought he might move to Palace uh, in the summer, but it didn't happen. Uh, and a third one is for uh, any older listeners. There's a guy called Peter Marinello who joined us uh, in the very early 70s. And he had, he had long hair and he was very youthful, I guess. And even from my position of being seven or eight, when he joined... There were high hopes that he was going to do well because it was quite a large fee uh, at the time. Might have been two hundred thousand uh, pounds. I don't know. Somebody will tell me if that's correct. Uh, but it didn't work out, and it's always um, it's always a bit sad when they don't work out. One one player who has worked out, of course, is Bukayo Saka. As I said, turned twenty uh, at the weekend and scored for England. Another goal for England seems to be universally loved. Um, Amy, I'll ask you this. Uh, sorry, Adonis is just, uh, our producer just said it was £100,000. Okay, fair enough for Peter Marinello. Still, it was an enormous amount of money at the time. I'm just interested, Amy, um, do you feel a little sort of proprietorial when it comes to Pukayo Saka? It sort of annoys me the whole country loves him now because <laughs> last season he was just ours. And now it's sort of, he's gone out into the wider world. You know, and as someone who is personally driving my child to Glasgow to go to university on Thursday, I feel quite sad about that. And in the same way I do about Bukayo Saka. <laughs> I never thought of it like that, but you do raise an interesting point. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and let's be honest, uh, uh, in the times that we're living in, um, having Arsenal players that you love absolutely wholeheartedly and without any conditions or anything... You know, there aren't millions uh, to choose from in the, you know, of the current squad, but Bukayo is undeniably someone that you just feel so happy to see in any event. Uh, I mean, I think if you if you walk down the road and you walk past him, you'd just be beaming. You know, yeah, he's got that effect on people, and that's just before he even steps on the pitch and is invariably the best player in the team. Um, I think it's notable how after the, the the summer he had with England that. It's reasonable to expect that he might maybe um, be taken care of and have, you know, have a gentler start to the season in terms of playing time. But it was like he had to be on the pitch uh, because he's that important. He's that good. And, you know, that is a, a slightly different conversation maybe for another day because 
the extent to which you look after Bukayo versus the um, the kind of desperate need to play him. I don't know how that one's going to pan out. And when you look at uh, at history for examples and of what can happen, there is no clearly defined route that you take because on the one end of the spectrum you maybe have a Jack Wilshire who obviously played a lot when he was very young put a big load on his body and struggled and on the other side of the coin you look at a Rooney or Ronaldo or Messi who you know came in or Cesc Fabregas who we should have mentioned with the young player conversation at the start of people that you saw and went oh my god Um, and all of those players have been able to you know, sustain amazing, consistent and long careers, uh, despite being pretty much good enough to play at 17 and never out the team. Uh, So I'm kind of intrigued to see how it goes with Bukayo. And obviously we all hope he's got that uh, um, combination of luck and looking after his body uh, that enables him to just fly and fly and fly. Well, exactly. Um, Oh, he's, he's younger than uh, following Balogun, isn't he? I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of ridiculous to think this, what he's achieved. Uh, I think um, on our little WhatsApp group, it was posted a number of games played before he's 20 years old. There's only a couple. I think Cesc Fabregas, maybe one other's above him. Um, what he's achieved is amazing. But as Amy said, does he need looking after? I So personally, I was concerned, say back end of last season and, considering he ended the year as Arsenal's second most used outfield player. I I just was almost put in a position where I had to be concerned because of those memories of, say, Jack Wilshere a decade ago. Um, But Amy does raise a very good point in terms of players who have played very young and still gone on to have very good careers. And Cesc Fabregas is probably the closest one to Saka in terms of Arsenal examples so um, I do think that going into maybe the winter months that may be where we can see more more of a more respite given to him uh, especially with without European football that's going to be a major uh, benefit I feel um, but it even in the opening weeks of the season it just felt yes <laughs> Arsenal need Bukayo Saka on the pitch but I was still quite hesitant to see that happen just because of how much football he has played before he even turned 20 the the other day. Oh, sorry to jump in, but when exactly can we rest Bukayo Saka? I mean, I mean, I'm the league. He's our best player. (laughs) We can't rest him at the moment. We can't. You know, you'd say we got Norwich at home at the weekend and we will talk about that. We need to win that game. If we need to win a game, we have to have Bukayo Saka on the pitch. Yeah, and I understand that. Uh, I think that now we're in a position where he has to play. But say in a few months, maybe uh, when hopefully... (laughs) um, When Arsenal are 16th. When Pepe's more consistent. Is that what you're talking about? (laughs) Yes, when other players are more consistent. Hopefully, (laughs) he can have a bit of a rest because he is still only 20 years old. Um, Yeah, I'd say take your rest in the next couple of days, Bukayo, because you'll be playing till May. (laughs) And hopefully, uh, well, I'm just, hey, you never know. Maybe other players will step up. Um, uh, Emil Smith-Rowe, by the way, is the other one we we love unconditionally of the uh, of the players you're talking about. Um, I think it's nice that they've got that song that brings them together in uh, in harmony. 
I agree. Um, what's his best position, Amy? <laughs> you've stumped me. You've, I think you've thrown me a googly there, Ian. Um, well, I didn't. I just. I'm wondering what you think. I mean, I love him playing where he plays at the moment, but I also like like seeing him play as a fullback and getting forward as well. Because as we've seen at Liverpool, when you look at uh, Trent and you look at uh, uh, Robertson and the number of assists they provide, they are two of the most dangerous players that Liverpool have from that position. And I sort of feel like... Yeah, but Liverpool's players going forward are uh, marginally more effective, let's say, in terms of uh, numbers. So I think that the question is that until Arsenal are in a position that they have uh, enough forward players who are delivering in terms of goals and assists consistently quite high numbers... Uh, the 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 greater need is for him to be playing further forward, I would think, because he's affecting the game. He's making things happen. He always takes responsibility. He has that capacity to, in a kind of split second, change the dynamic of the game, um, change the pattern, raise the levels, and the danger. And that is that quality is absolutely vital uh, for Arsenal at the moment, as high up the pitch as you can get it. Art, do you have anything to add to what Amy said? Does he have to play further up the pitch? I think yes, but I wouldn't say he should be, say, restricted to one area. I think he's a player that can float around quite a bit. So it's quite similar to Smith Rowe. He can pop up on the right, pop up on the left. And at some points, he's even proven that he can play uh, in that kind of number 10 space. So I'd say... Uh, yeah, probably further upfield is best for, for Arsenal and I guess for England as well. But I wouldn't want to uh, just pin him down to one role, say right wing or left wing. I think he could just um, cause havoc wherever he is. So I wouldn't be worried where wherever he is as long as it's just behind the striker. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Bukayo Saka is obviously the, the shining star amongst the young players at Arsenal, but we have quite a few young players, and um, that is a, a clear strategy on the part of Arsenal. Um, Edu was interviewed by Jeff Shreves for Sky. Um, Amy, you wrote a piece on this. I mean, it was quite reasonable what he said, wasn't it, that the club have basically gone for a new strategy because the old strategy is not working? Yeah, uh, well, I think what he was trying to get at was looking at a longer-term strategy as well. Um you know that I think Arsenal had been caught up in sort of quick fix itis for quite a long time, um, and that didn't seem to give them the foundation they needed to do something. You know, in terms of serious progress. 
So I think Project Youth, in the same way that it was a very uh, logical thing when Arsene Wenger famously first tried it after Arsenal moved from Highbury to the Emirates, um, it feels, again, when you're in a position where the pressure is on and you can't exactly go out and um, spend mega bucks on fully formed, almost guaranteed, ridiculously good players, uh, because there's so much work to do to the squad. The idea is see if you can just buy that potential while you can afford it. And, you know, you have to hope in this case uh, that Arsenal have made enough of the right choices. Um you know, you can get incredible value from uh, uh, players who are on the way up if you choose well. And, I, but, you know, I think the, there's two, the two things that concern me slightly for this strategy, and I think I'm all for Arsenal doing it. And I, I think optics-wise, if, uh, if um, Arsenal are picking set, sort of... Uh, some of the players I thought it was interesting in, in the interview that Edu kind of almost spelled out that some of the players were brought in to be backups which I, I was surprised about slightly so he kind of indicated that Sambi was there to you know to to, 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 to take over when Xhaka and Party are not around as first choices that was an inference really and I thought hmm, maybe he's bright enough that he should be challenging on a on an equal footing with those guys especially as midfield has been a problem and similarly Tavares being there very much as a backup to Tierney again is there possibly uh, a scenario where maybe they both play or rather than just him having to kind of wait for opportunities if Tierney's not available and Ramsdale and, and Leno was the third one where it, it seems that you know the the selling point is here he comes to kind of bed in take his chance when there's an opportunity and see what happens. But I think that people will buy into it much more if those guys are given chances to play more and see what they can do rather than necessarily seeing some of the players, a Kolasinac given a game or Cedric given a game to use certain examples. Um, that's what, that's where people will back the project. I, I was I was going to ask Art about this. That do you not think Arteta lost a bit of a bit of connection with the fans when he didn't play the youth and was only then really forced to by injuries to key players? Yeah, I think West Brom away he went very strong and he's done that traditionally in cup competitions. So Carabao Cup last year and the Europa League last year and the season before, where he hasn't really rotated, and I think that's something that fans have become <laughs> accustomed to, especially in the Wenger years where you got to see basically those teenagers who we mentioned earlier, uh, you'd see them make their debuts in, say, the League Cup. They'd get minutes in the FA Cup, but that hasn't really been the case under Arteta in the Carabao Cups. And I think I asked him whether the draw against Wimbledon would give, I guess, more of a chance uh, for those maybe younger players to get minutes. And his answer was that, well, I've been playing the younger players. And when you think about it, Bukayo Saka's 20 years old, uh, Emil smith has just turned 21. And those are two players who are key to what Arsenal are doing at the minute. And you see his point, but also you just get why fans are frustrated in terms of, yes, there are players who've, who have been signed like Lokonga, who offers something that, say, 
Shaka doesn't in terms of mobility and what Elneny doesn't in terms of getting the ball forward very quickly. Forward passing. Yeah. <laughs> and you just can't help but feel those frustrations are very valid. So I, I do agree with Amy in the terms of it. he probably is going to have to play those players a lot more to get more goodwill from, from the fan base. They also might be more successful. We don't know until we try them. Well, no, but you can't play uh, an entire youth, uh, an entire team under that age, can you? I mean, I'm I'm looking. James did a tweet the other week where he said um, he he named the team of Ramsdale, Tierney, White, Gabriel, uh, Takahiro, now Party, Lakonga, ESR, Erdegaard, Saka, and Oba. And he said, I'm sure there are plenty of fans who would like to see that team take the field. Um, is there enough experience there, Amy? And and if, and another question, can we rely on those experienced players? Because one of the things you said in your piece was that that's the harder part of all this. When he named the five experienced players, which was Leno, Lacazette, Aubameyang, Partey and Xhaka, I think a lot of people went, can we rely on them to bring the young players through? We're going to have to. <laughs> It's <laughs> the actual answer to that. Again, looking back to when, you know, uh, sort of the, the Fabregas, Van Persie, Nasri, Clichy, sort of all the, those young, that young period, uh, um, Project Youth Mark 1, if you like, coming through with Arsene. Funny enough, some of the experienced players around there weren't great either, I have to be honest. I had a look when I uh, when I was writing the piece and you think, oh, goodness me. Um, some were though, weren't they? Some were you, really good. Yes, some were really good uh, and some were, you, well, anyway. Yeah. But the other thing is, okay, you're, you're, you're relying on, when you've got that mix, you're relying on the you know older players. You're hoping the older players are going to be made of the right stuff to be uh, helping the youngsters along as well as helping themselves in the game. And, and in the situation that Arsenal are in, it's difficult because obviously the experienced players have got to focus on themselves in their own game too because this is not a relaxed situation. This is a pressure situation. Um, but they also had a manager behind them and who was very, very well schooled in all the minutiae of bringing young players in and how to manage situations, how to help them, how to make them feel positive, how to give them the right time on the pitch, the right time off the pitch. You know, Arsene was really, that was one of his genius strings to his bow. He did it so many times. Um and again, there, I think there is, it, this is a huge test of what Arteta is made of in terms of his his human management, not just his football management, because it's not just about coaching and about picking players and strategies and formations and giving instructions. This is about bringing in, uh, you know, a variety. Six new players have come in who are all, as everybody knows, under the age of 23, um, that brings a certain hunger and desire and, and enthusiasm and desperation to do well. But they need to feel that, that they can, as smoothly as possible, integrate into the team and try and do well. And that really is on Arteta. So if he pulls it off, and let's be honest, if you've got six signings coming in, how many out of the six are you going to look back on in three years' time and say, amazing, they, to they were totally worked out how we want. It's not going to be six in all probability. It probably won't be five. I think if if three to four turn out to be really good Arsenal signings in a few years' time, that's a fairly good return. Yeah, 
I, um, I mean, art, I, I think that's fair enough, isn't it? Um, if, let's say, half of them come through, that, that, would, that would be pretty decent, wouldn't it? That's £75 million worth of talent, essentially, that, uh, that has worked out. Yeah, and considering they're all very young, they if even if they don't um, go on to be those Arsenal uh, starters in a few years, they're still young enough to have sell-on value. And I think that's one of probably the most important things in this because as we've talked about at length before, uh, especially in the last few years, Arsenal have been quite bad at selling players. So when, I guess, this cycle comes to an end, and if those players haven't stepped up as, uh, say, Mikel Arteta and Edu would have liked to, liked them to, then I think moving them on, there's probably a greater chance of doing that um, with these players, with how young they are at the minute. That was something you you mentioned in the piece, uh, Amy. That these, if you are paying a premium for players uh, like, say, Ben White, um, but they're on the, all the players are on much lower wages. So therefore, it'd be a bit easier to shift them if things don't work out, which which was something that Arsenal didn't seem to give enough thought to maybe in the past 10 years. I think they're just trying to tidy up the wage bill, like overall. These guys are not coming in on buttons, but on the same token, um, there's room for growth. If they're very successful, they're going to be rewarded in the same way that Bukayo Saka, you know, um, the younger players, Smith Rowe recently, they're getting new contracts because they deserve it and you need to give them those new contracts to m- make them better paid. They, Everybody knows the market rate for top footballers in terms of wages if you work, if you were in the game. You know, if, 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 if uh, Saka goes on England duty and is chatting away to Mason Mount and Calvin Phillips and Rice and all the other young guys in that squad... They all know what's going on out there in the world for the top players. So, you know, you can bring in a, a, a Tavares or a Sambi uh, at probably, you know, not too bad wages by the standards that some older players maybe on bad deals are, are from the past are, are earning. Um, but if they prove to be really successful and fantastic, they're going to need a, a better deal. And that's what you want. That's great. Okay, which brings us to the last question while we're discussing this, really, and I want to ask both both of you this. Art, um, first things first, how patient do we have to be? What sort of progress? I mean, I'm sure there are internal um, targets that the club would want to reach, but what sort of progress do you want to see in, say, the next six months, a year, that will convince you to, sorry for want of a better phrase, trust the process? <laughs> I think my, I guess, expectations, I'll call them, haven't really changed from before and after the Edu interview. I think uh, going into this season, most uh, uh, most people following Arsenal would have expected them to at least get into the Europa League um, this season. And that hasn't changed for me, even though they've started the season poorly. <laughs> I think um, there's still enough quality in the squad for them to push for at least the Europa League. And um, then we see where we go from there. I think the fact that probably one of uh, that Edu didn't give, I guess, a proper tangible target for this season in the interview maybe struck some fans the wrong way, um, which is understandable. But yeah, from my perspective, I think Europe is the minimum that that is uh, required. 
Well, I would agree with that, Art. Amy, uh, would it be Europe for you and also maybe a clear playing style that we can get behind? Asking for both would be great, but um, even one would be, would be helpful. Uh, <laughs> yes. I just, I think it has to be better than last year. There has, if you've, if you've spent 150 million quid, whichever way you chose to spend it, whether you chose to spend it on 623s or whether you chose to spe- spend it on two, you know, mega signings, um, there has to be an improvement on last season. I mean, the, all right, well, actually, one more thing. Can you ignore the present then at the moment? Uh, Amy, I'll come to you first because, you know, we're bottom of the what league, do you mean three games, the no. Well, can we? Well, basically, because you're 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 bringing in players for the future. We have the youngest squad, um, certainly youngest starting eleven in the Premier League, if things work out. Uh, but we are currently bottom with no points from three games and no goals. Can you just say, "Oh, we'll let this"? Because because Edu hinted at it, basically saying almost let this season go because we're building for the future. Well, obviously you can't. I mean, we're. Uh, you know, we are existing in the present. It, we can't just pretend that there's some kind of time zone thing going on where <laughs> we go into an through some portal into an alternative universe where what's going on right now doesn't matter. We'll, nah, I'm not buying that. I think uh, people who are going to go to the Norwich game in a few days' time or are going to watch it from wherever they are in the world uh, care about the next game. Um Part of being a, a, a football supporter is that you're, it's part of your everyday routine in your thoughts. And while you can be understanding that the present might be hard because they're working towards a slightly longer term vision, you can't just pretend that what's going on right now is not going to matter deeply to every single individual who cares about the football club. No. I mean, Art, I, I think that's, that's pretty much summed it up, isn't it? We want, we want the future to look bright, but we want results now, is essentially what football fans are like. Yeah, well, for the future to be bright, the results have to be there now. So <laughs> it plays hand in hand. Yes, you can put, I guess, add context to the present, but uh, to make it more understandable, as Amy said. But yeah, you can't just, I guess, brush it aside as if nothing's happening. Right, so so context would be if we draw with Norwich, but uh, but uh, let's say uh, Takahiro looks good if he plays, we'll go, <laughs> okay, that was only a draw and we still got one point from four games, but the fullback looked like it might work out. Um, I can see uh, how difficult uh, this might be in the next few months. We'll uh, take a break there. When we come back, we'll talk about um, Arsenal beating Chelsea 3-2 in the ladies, the first game of the season. Fantastic. And we'll look forward to Norwich uh, briefly as well. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Handbreak Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Ian Stone here with Art de Roche and Amy Lawrence. Um, Arsenal 3, Chelsea 2. Not a result we would have expected to see in the opening game of the uh, Women's Super League. Um, Art, you wrote uh, a piece about this and about how well they played. One thing that stood out for me was the way that uh, uh, we got in behind uh, for the first goal, uh, Viv Miedema. And it was clear strategy on the part of, uh, of the coach to do, to do that, to draw Chelsea uh, up the field and then hit them from behind. Sort of a bit like Chelsea did to us in the men's game. <laughs> yeah, and I, I wouldn't say that's something new because when uh, you look at the league game last season, Arsenal's goal came from going wide to Miedema. And then she actually assisted Beth Mead that time rather than scoring herself. But I think that strategy was very clear with, say, Katie McCabe, left back, Iwabuchi, who was on the wing but came inside to, I guess, create that space for Miedemar. And they just kind of worked that, I guess, what formula, I'll call it, um, for, for a lot of the first half. And then you saw as the game went into a different stage very late on, they just kind of... <laughs> almost part the bus in a way I'd say um well, yeah again very Chelsea like if you'd want to call it like that um to hold out for the win and I think yeah over the course of the summer they've been very clear in their plans for I guess the post Joe Montemurro era and that clarity has helped them uh I guess with that opening day win but also just in terms of having a much clearer strategy from top to bottom uh and that i guess the emirates was the stage to prove that and and they did so uh yeah it was a very a very good um very good day at emirates uh, amy i love watching uh, ian wright when he tweets about viv Miedema's movement um he absolutely loves watching her and he said it's it's elite level uh football that she's playing um i mean we're very much relying on her this season, aren't we? Well, she's one of the best out there, isn't she? Um, I had a conversation with uh, a few youngsters uh, recently and, and they, was, they were debating whether or not she could play in the men's team, which I thought was quite <laughs> really? interesting. And, I you know, she's so good that I think I, I, I'd be quite confident that she would be having an impact. Um I agree. I, I just find, and I know it's, again, it's such an easy thing to do and you should probably think more more clearly about this. But, you know, having been lucky enough to watch Dennis Bergkamp throughout his career at Arsenal, because they're both Dutch and play in similar positions, I, I do find every time I watch her, she just does little things that just spring these little reminders uh, of Dennis um, because her touch and her movement is so clever. It's uh, and I, I, I can't think of much higher praise than that. Yeah, and and uh, and Art um, signing Tobin Heath. Uh, I mean, a World Cup winner and a Gooner as well. That is, 
I mean, we were talking about how, you know, the, the, men's, t- uh, the men's team are going for Project Youth. This is a, a statement signing at the other end of the scale, isn't it, really? Yeah, it's really major. And I think one thing that's been clear with their, I guess, recruitment since uh, Jonas Ederval took charges, they're targeting areas that, well, I guess he's targeting areas he knows he needs depth in. So over the past, I guess, three and a half years, Arsenal have had quite a small squad, which has benefited them at times because they have very versatile players like Beth Mead, Caitlin Ford. Uh, But also when injuries hit, it has caused them major issues. So Tobin Heath comes in as another wide forward, uh, as is, say, Nikita Paris, who was signed from Lyon, and uh, Manu Iwabuchi, who came from Aston Villa. They add to the depth in those positions, which are going to be very, I guess, uh, crucial to what Arsenal do. Because, yes, Miedemar is, I guess, the the big name, um, but she also facilitates the players around her, which makes, um, makes that attack much more threatening, I think. And also the fact that those, I guess, wide players are some of the most intense in terms of pressing as well for Edivar. I think that's where you see um, the recruitment coming in in, the, in those areas. And I think Tobin Heath uh, having that World Cup and Olympic uh, winners experience uh, alongside Nikita Paris, who won the uh, Champions League with Leon, that's going to only, I guess, take the, the side to, to another level in terms of not just football, but the, the way they think about football. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be a very, very interesting season to see how they develop uh, further. And briefly, Art, can they challenge? I mean, Chelsea and City are really good. And City, I saw City beat Everton 4-0 and they play some beautiful football. Can, can Arsenal challenge this year? I think they can. I said, like, before the game, I was quietly confident. Um, I'm not saying that 100% they're going to go all the way. But one thing that I think was interesting in the Chelsea game is the approach was uh, quite similar, but also very different in some ways to what they've done under Montemurra in the past couple of seasons. Uh, as I think people know, Montemurra is a very, I guess, Arsenal-type coach in terms of wanting to have possession and not uh, shirking away from that responsibility. Uh, whereas against Chelsea... Uh, Edivar was very and even before that in the Champions League qualifiers he's made a point of wanted to make them more structured and more compact when defending and after the game he said that he made the conscious decision to just camp out in his own box and let them cross the ball um, because he knew one they didn't actually want to cross the ball they uh, and two just stacking the box with Arsenal players was going to make it that much harder. And I think if we see that approach again against Manchester City and if it pays off, then then I think I'd be more confident saying that, yes, that there's definitely a three-horse race. But Emma Hayes also made a very good point after the game that she actually rested some of her Olympics players. They came off the bench. So Fran Kirby, Sam Kerr uh, came off the bench, Sophie Ingle as well. They're all world-class players that she could just call upon off the bench. And I think over the course of the season, that fitness, because Arsenal's players pretty much came straight into the side because of the Champions League games, um, 
how that affects them over the course of the year. I think that's another thing to keep in mind. I can't imagine you doing brazen confidence art, to be honest with you. Quiet <laughs> confidence is, I think, where you, that seems to be your default. But um, yeah. <laughs> let's look forward. Let's look forward briefly uh, to the Norwich game, the men's game on Saturday, uh, three o'clock. Um, Amy, this it feels like an enormous uh, game now. We're going to see some of the new players, I imagine. Um, but a win is just imperative, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, absolutely. I think Arteta will be in trouble if it's not a victory. You talk about seeing some of the new players, um, I think, across fingers and toes that Thomas Partey oh, can also please. reappear. Um, yeah. If, uh, you know, getting, a, getting a, a, a tune out of him for a long period without um, a kick or a problem or an injury will be of huge help to the team. Like a new signing. Really? Ah, oh, <laughs> remember them. <laughs> yes, um, I agree, though. I agree. Well, that'd be a good opening question for for a quiet week. Who was your favourite ever? Like a new signing? <laughs> yeah, we'll do that on Put another that one. one. Uh, but yeah, uh, art. I mean. You know, we have to beat Norwich at home. I mean, I'm not going, I've got mates saying relegation six-pointer and I'm not playing that game, right? I'm really not. But if we don't beat Norwich at home with Burnley away to come and then the North London derby, that will heap some serious pressure on Mikel Arteta. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any other way to put it than just, it. you cannot not win against Norwich at home. Um, and that's not trying to be disrespectful to Norwich, but... Um, especially given how the season started. I'm not being funny. You, you this is going to be tense. I think people <laughs> who rock up think, oh, here come the cavalry and, you know, the season starts here and it's only <laughs> Norwich. Could find themselves at bricking it at some point during the game. 60 minutes in, if we're still nil-nil, <laughs> there will be a lot of tension and general anger and angst around that ground, won't there? You're, you're making me scared now. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were quietly confident. Oh, oh, oh is that that's for the women's team? That's what that, okay. that was for the women's team. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Well, um, let's uh, let's yeah. see how we go, shall we? Um, let's have a song before you head off into the afternoon. Uh, Amy, we'll start with you. Uh, I'll do a song for Bukayo, and I'll pick a a favourite birthday song. Um, not sure it might be his style, but the Sugar Cubes' birthday. Okay. Uh, Art, what about you? Uh, considering we're all, I guess, okay, hoping <laughs> that there's a win uh, on, I think it's Saturday against Norwich. Yeah, three o'clock uh, Saturday, mate. That's where we'll be playing for the next couple of seasons. <laughs> <laughs> go on. Uh, I'll go for Bounce by, by Logic. Just hoping that there's a bounce effect at the carpet and there's finally three points on the table for Arsenal. Lift off. Lift off is what we're looking for. I'll have um, I'll have Don't Stop Believing by Journey, all right? Because uh, I, I, I'm feeling like we have to at this point. We have to get behind them and at least enjoy it for the next few months because, you know, otherwise it's a bit of a chore, isn't it, really? We don't need that. Um, thank you, Amy. Thank you, Art. Thank you to Adonis, our producer this week. I'm Ian Stone. This has been Handbreak Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Enjoy the weekend.
The Athletic.